What's up, everybody? This is Stick to Football Bleacher Reports NFL Draft Podcast. I'm Matt Miller, lead draft writer at BR. And joining me from New York for today, but when you guys are listening to this, little Connor Rogers is going to be on his way to Missouri for our first ever Stick to Football Podcast Summit. I'm excited, dude. Dude, it's going to be awesome. It's funny because when you guys are listening to this, I will be flying into Arkansas and driving to Joplin, Missouri for what That's is going to be a pretty... get here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So from New York, which there's a million airports here where you can get almost anywhere. I had two options. I could fly into Dallas and then fly directly to Joplin, but the layover makes the trip like seven or eight hours instead. And I've done this before, but Matt picked me up uh, back then. This time I'm rolling with a little crew because Whiskey Dan and our awesome new other podcast producer under the Bleacher Report umbrella, Jesse, are coming with flying into Arkansas driving an hour and a half to Joplin, having a dinner with everyone. And then uh, we got a pretty big Thursday because the whole band is going to be together for Stick to Football Friday. It's going to be a great show. Today's going to be a great show, man. Uh, We talked about it. No guest this week. There's too much going on, too many things we wanted to talk about coming off the first weekend of preseason football for every team. So we're going to go deep around the league. We're going to continue that top 25's rookie list that took a hit this week because of some injuries. And then we'll close it out yeah. with a lot of your draft on draft questions. I wanted to quickly say, though, I saw the suggestion on Reddit that we do a draft on draft only show before with the season starts. I think it's a great idea. We'll try to figure out a way to yep. schedule that out and get that in. But let's jump into the news and notes, man. I think it all starts with Darius Geis, torn ACL. Our buddies at Sims and Lefko call it the ACL epidemic. They are so, so right about it. And, and Geis is the biggest name so far this year to go down. Yeah, it sinks because, you know, looking at our obviously top 25 rookie countdown, which we will go 20 down to 16 today. Little spoiler alert. I had Darius Geis as number seven. Are you serious? On my so list. Did I. Yeah, exactly. I mean, number I, seven. me and yeah. you were I felt like me and you were as high as anyone on him going into the draft. Felt like he was super undervalued in the draft. And I think he Flash so much so early in Washington. They were so excited to have a primary workhorse back. So the expectations were high. This injury sucks. Uh, one thing we do want to answer, you know, it sucks for Geis because he's been on this show and, and we really love him and every all his teammates love him. I think it was Chris Thompson was nearly in tears talking about the injury because he's just such a great player. So we know he's going to bounce back really strong. A lot of you guys who have been following the show are asking us, how does this affect dynasty drafts and overall fantasy implications? Because Darius Geis had gone as early as, you know, second and third round we had seen, which is crazy for a second round rookie, but also warranted. It's interesting. The trickle effect. Now people are looking at other rookies. I like carry on Johnson besides Saquon Barkley. I think carry on Johnson is the other rookie running back can make that can make a serious impact this year. And is a guy that actually might be underdrafted with speaking of which this is looking ahead, but down the line in about two weeks, we're going to have Matt camp here to do the rookie preview yep, show yep. again for fantasy. So we're going to fully dive into that, but just an early look, this injury stinks all around. It does, man. It, it sucks for Washington because now they have to see, okay, who's going to be our guy because you drafted this player in the second round. You thought he was going to be your featured back. And now it's probably on to running back by committee. You've got guys in there like what well, Rob Kelly's going to be in there. Probably going to, I would imagine get uh, the, the Chris Thompson and Rob Kelly are going to get a lot of the touches. They drafted Samaj P. Ryan in the fourth round in 2017. That was a different regime, though. So it's going to be a lot of different dudes in there trying to carry the rock. And then, like you said, from a fantasy implication, 
my my buddies and I, our fantasy draft is in two weeks. Geis was on my board as like, I might be able to steal this dude kind of late because he's not a big name and being a second round pick uh, it changes things. So it's not like Saquon and even Sonny Michelle, who has a little bit more hype because they were first round players. I thought I was going to be able to steal guys now. And, and like you said, Matt camp is our fantasy expert. Trust that dude completely. But for me, I do start to look at people like, okay, carry on Johnson, Royce Freeman. Uh, those are more the types of late round running backs. I, I might be looking at, but it, it definitely affects a lot of things. And I, I think even schematically, what they were trying to do in Washington this year is you're going to a quarterback in Alex Smith, who trust me, I've watched this dude. He, every snap he's ever played being a Niners fan. And then now living in Missouri, he's safe. He's conservative. He's not going to turn the ball over, but he's not going to give you chunk plays on his own. And you need a strong run game. I mean, he's always had a good running back, whether it was Frank Gore, Jamal Charles, Kareem hunt. He needs someone behind him who can keep defenses honest to open up that, uh, intermediate passing game. So uh, it, it really affects what they're going to be able to do offensively in Washington. So it's tough. It sucks. I know a guy said he'll be back next year. He's a good friend of the podcast. We've had him on before. So hopefully, uh, you know, he bounces back from this. I know, you know, Mello has had three knee surgeries. He's talked before on the podcast about so much of it is mental. It's not even the physical anymore. It's that mentality of, can I plant? Can I cut? Can I do all the things I did before? So hopefully, you know, Darius is, is able to bounce back from that. Yeah, I hope so, too. And I fully expect him to. He's a pretty resilient guy, if you know his background story. Uh, it's been an exciting preseason because I, I don't know if it's because of how attached to this quarterback class we were, but I have found myself this year where if a preseason game is on, I'm watching. That's how interesting it's been with <laughs> right. all of these impact rookie players. And we really want to do a rookie quarterback review for you guys, because like I said, we were so close to this class. We were high on a lot of this class. Um, I'm going to start with Baker Mayfield because I thought he looked like classic Baker. I think he looked comfortable. I think the arm strength is still being undervalued here. I thought he keeps showing a very strong arm. David Njoku is ready to completely break out. I mean, that was my favorite yes. tight end in the, in that class. And I think the time has come for him to be an impact player. So Baker, just, you love everything you see. It's the pocket presence. It's the accuracy. It's when to put a lot of, you know, a lot on the ball and when to take some off. So I loved what I saw from Baker Mayfield. I do fully buy in that Tyrod Taylor is going to be the starter there for at least the beginning of the season. I actually think they're going to win some games with Tyrod, which makes this a difficult situation for Baker. Matt, what'd you see from Baker and how would you handle that quarterback room if you were Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson? Well, it's Tyrod, right? They came out and said that it's not even Tyrod. He's Tyrod, too nice yeah. to correct people. Uh, which that's unreal. The spelling <laughs> blows my mind if that's how we're saying this guy's name. Uh, I thought Baker looked good. And like you said, it was classic Baker. We saw him move around and, and I tweeted this during the game. One of the biggest takeaways for me when, when the first time I saw Baker in person at the field level was at the senior bowl and was like, this motherfucker throws hard, like so much harder than you expect ball. for a small guy. And I saw that again on watching the game uh, when it was broadcast. And then I actually went back and watched it a couple more times to pick up on a couple other guys. But I thought he looked good. I do think there are times where he's still a little slow processing and he's looking for, even if it's let me move my feet to set up a more of an open throw, you know, let me try to pull a defender away from a guy and then I'm going to throw it back to that spot. But that will all come. And there's no denying that he brings an energy to the field. And I, like you said, I loved this quarterback class. Baker brings an energy to the field that no one else does. And I think that counts, especially for a team that has won one game 
in two years. You need guys like Baker. You need guys like Jarvis Landry who are going to bring an energy and, and an excitement and also just some confidence for the rest of the team. So those are the things from Baker that I liked. I mean, he's, he's a playmaker. He's accurate. I, I did worry a little bit about, is he going to be able to scramble around and make as many plays in the NFL as he did in college? Because he's not explosively fast. I mean, he's agile, but he's no. not just fast. And it didn't seem like that was a problem for him. No, not at all. So, I mean, loved what we saw from Baker Mayfield. Uh, moving on to the next guy taken, we'll just go in order of when they were taken. Sam Darnold from my New York Jets. Loved what I saw from Sam Darnold as advertised. Another guy that can really manipulate the pocket. We saw that shoulder dip and stepping up into the pocket to evade pressure. Some guys just feel it. I think this was so exciting for Jets fans because after watching the likes of Christian Hackenberg, Bryce Petty, guys that were just statues in there getting killed, Darnold showed that he can elevate the offensive line play, work through multiple reads, really manipulate defenders and safeties and pull them down underneath to hit throws over the top. So his deep ball definitely has some work left to do, but a really encouraging start for Sam Darnold, who has the best chance out of all these guys to be under the lights week one, Monday night football at Detroit. Yeah, I really liked what I saw from Sam Darnold. And I, again, I probably, you know, gave it away on Twitter talking about this rewatching it, but he did look sharp and there are going to be those people that say, Oh, it's just the preseason, but it's a guy's first game. And what I look for is, is the game too big for you? What, how is your mental clock? Are you getting the ball out on time? Are you seeing things that are open? And Darnold saw things that were open. I couldn't tell you his stat line. I have no idea. So I'm sure people are going to say, Oh, he checked down a lot. One thing that we have to remember is that Jeremy Bates is running a West Coast offense. They are not going to be going bombs away, especially in the first preseason game. It's just not how that offense is built. They're going to work the tight ends. They're going to work the crossing routes, a lot of combos underneath. That's what they do, and I think that's what we saw Darnold do really well. Now, the other side of that, Teddy Bridgewater looks really, really good. and Excellent. I know that Josh McCown got the start. Teddy should be the starter, in my opinion. And and I say that knowing that you drafted a guy at three. He's the future of the team. I would be starting Teddy to try to trade him. And maybe we're jumping around too much with this, but I think Bridgewater has legitimate trade value. I think he's one of the best 20, 22 quarterbacks in the NFL right now. I mean, there has to be a value for a guy like that who's still young and looked healthy coming off that injury where we, we saw him play one game in two years. He looked very good, albeit in a preseason game, but it looked like classic Teddy Bridgewater. And if if I could get classic Teddy Bridgewater uh, for nickels on the dollar, I'm going to do it every time. I'll tell you this, Matt, with how good he looked and how bad other teams' veteran backup quarterbacks looked, I think the Jets are going to get some phone calls. I just I can't see this guy being the third stringer. Say Sam Darnold wins this job. Who's the backup, Teddy or McCown? For me, it's, it's Teddy. For me, it's Teddy. It's Teddy. I mean, forget away from the seven for eight and the beautiful third down or fourth down conversion, Jermaine Curse. We saw classic Teddy Bridgewater in this game. Everything from the accuracy for taking what's there, for how he felt and moved around the pocket. I can tell you for a fact the team and coaching staff loves him. They adore him. And it's so good that Teddy Bridgewater is back. I'm very curious to see if he's going to be in green and white this whole year. That's my biggest question. Will a team call? And I don't want to say get desperate, but will they be like, hey, we'll pony up a third or fourth round pick for Teddy Bridgewater. 
And, and he might even elevate his stock if he continues to stay with the Jets further than that. So for a weird long first time in a while or first time I could ever remember, right? the Jets quarterback room is very exciting. All it, around. it really is, man. It, and I've said it before. I just want to go on record as saying the Tampa Bay Buccaneers should be trading for Teddy Bridgewater because yes, they should. Not only is Jameis suspended, I don't think he's your future. I, I think he's gonna. Uh, I just there's too much. There, there are too many concerns. I think Teddy would take that job. I think oh, Teddy yeah. is everything that Jameis is not, and a guy like Dirk Cutter, who I thought should have been let go after last year, would see a guy like Teddy efficiently and safely run his offense and say, this is the guy I'm sticking with because this guy can save my job. Right. So, and he's, he's just everything that Jameis is not. You see the cameras on Jameis Winston all the time of the leadership and, and Teddy, it's more of a laid back, quiet approach. Guess what? When the cameras aren't on, Teddy is one of the best leaders in football and he's just the perfect guy for that. So keeping it moving, I want to talk a lot about Josh Allen because Number one, you, you went to bat for this guy. I know he didn't end up being your top quarterback, but there's a weird thing with the internet sometimes, and I wasn't a Josh Allen fan, and I still think he struggled with accuracy in this game. He played much better than people are giving him credit for in this game, and I wanted to know if you felt the same way after watching all the throws, not just a fourth down where he scrambled, got hit, and threw it away. That's the thing, man. This is uh, what has frustrated me throughout training camp, not just with Josh, but with a lot of players is, people will pick out one or two bad plays. And they did this to him at Wyoming. I was at the Iowa game where he did something very similar to what he did in the preseason debut where trying to, you know, scramble around and make something happen. And he, he makes a dumb play. It takes a sack or throws an interception or, or, you know, throws the ball away, loses yards, whatever it might be. That's fixable, right? You can tell it, stop doing that. Learn to take a sack. I, I think with Allen, some of the things that aren't teachable are, Man, his arm looked very, very good, as good as advertised. And I didn't it's think lively. his timing was off um, at all. So I thought he looked good. And I think when we talk about Allen, and, and again, when we talk about Josh Rosen uh, next, you, you have to think about what these guys are being asked to do, the talent around them to some extent. You know, if you get in in the, if you're the third or fourth quarterback coming in in a preseason game, just like with Sam Darnold, that's a, a lot different talent you're playing with and against. So I, I thought Allen looked good. Um, he was a little rusty. I, I thought there were a couple of high passes, but man, the, the accuracy issues were a little, uh, yeah, a little uh, obvious. Yeah. But I, I still think he is someone that is a work in progress that I, I've heard just like you have, you know, maybe he does play some this year, but I really hope he doesn't. I hope he is able to sit and learn, but the athleticism and arm strength are, are very, very obvious. And those are all the things that people loved and signed up for. Yeah. And I think also it's it's just a bad roster on offense. Defensively, they're fine on offense. It's just not a great situation for him to succeed right away. So I'm with you that he should sit. He does need time. Everybody knew he was a project yep. coming out. But, um, you know, again, good and bad flashes in the preseason for for Josh Allen. The next one, Josh Rosen. This one obviously crushed me because this was my top quarterback. They couldn't even snap the fucking football in this game it when he amazing, got in with the dude. reserves. I mean, it, it's and I'll give Steve Wilkes this a lot of credit. He can't. He pulled him after the first half after playing with the reserves, and he said, "We're going to get him working with the ones yeah. because it's not fair to him." And he made some plays, some really nice throws. There was two or three throws where I was like, "Damn, that's the guy." And he had one really qu- questionable throw that was a dropped interception that should have been picked off. In between those three or four plays, they couldn't snap the ball. 
They let free rushers get after him time after time. It, it was just a disaster. Yeah, and like you said, I was so happy that Steve Wilkes said, nope, <laughs> this is enough. Um, and, and Rosen made, uh, there was one play where he had to move his feet to the right and set back oh, up and throw. And, that and you're watching that like, oh my God, like this is, this is what we drafted. This is the dude. If, if, if he can do that and we can get him moving his feet consistently, setting back up, throwing on time, you're going to have something very special. Um, and then, like you said, there was the one really bad throw that was a drop pick. But I think something we have to really remind ourselves and everyone with preseason quarterback evaluation is sometimes you're not just looking at, you know, incomplete versus complete versus touchdown versus interception. You're looking for speed of the game. How do they handle the pressure? How do they handle the huddle? Some of these guys have never been in a huddle before where they have to call play. Are they getting up to the line with time to, you know, identify the mic? You know, they're not going to make any checks in the preseason, but just speed and time of the game is so important right now. And I think that's one area where Rosen is way ahead of everyone else in this class because he's been asked to do so many of those things. He's going to be ready faster and I know uh, I have some people out there who've told me, listen, Sam Bradford's going to make it very hard for Rosen to get on the field as long as he's healthy. Now, that's... Yeah, I was going to say, he'll make always, it hard for week one. That's always the thing. As long as he's healthy. We have no idea uh, how long that's going to last. But let's hop into May, uh, to Lamar Jackson, excuse me, the last of the first-round picks. Uh, I, I saw the first game they played, the Hall of Fame game. I have not had a chance yet to see their second game. Uh, but I, I thought he looked exciting he's very electric as a playmaker um you know it's obvious that he has speed to make things happen and i i like how baltimore's starting to use him you know they're finding ways to get him on the field and and he's the one guy that it wouldn't shock me if they struggle he ends up putting flacco on the bench just because he's going to be able to provide a spark yeah that's it's as simple as that what lamar jackson lamar jackson is struggling as a passer right now and we knew that was going to be a problem for Allen in terms of accuracy. It was going to be a problem for Lamar in terms of accuracy. I think uh, with Baker, a lot of people wanted to see him transition out of the Oklahoma offense. I think with Darnold, you know, still working on the deep ball. And with Rosen, it, it's just some decision-making issues. So there was question marks across the board for everyone, of course, because they're rookie quarterbacks. And there's a lot of good and a lot of exciting parts. With Lamar in the red zone, and, and even just when he needs to pick up a first down, the running is just electric. It's so exciting to watch him make NFL defenders miss. If you're one of those that said, well, can he do that to an NFL guy trying to tackle him? Yes, he can. He's an elite, elite playmaker. Uh, you know, the throwing does, it needs to improve. And I think the Ravens took him with the last pick of the first round, knowing that because they don't have to play him right away. But I will say this, if Joe Flacco is doing a very poor job as a passer and offers zero as a runner, I agree with you that maybe halfway or on the back half of the season, Lamar Jackson can get on the field because he offers a ton as a runner and he can grow as a passer. So it's a fascinating situation in Baltimore. It's been a lot of fun to watch him play and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch him grow. And for a while I was like, there's no shot he gets on the field this year. And now I'm just looking at it and like, man, there might be some upside where they have to play him. Yeah, I agree, man. Like you said that perfectly. I think, what we're going to see with him is, uh, and I know that there are some stereotypical things that were said about Lamar Jackson throughout the process, but the one thing I heard over and over again from people I trust was, we just aren't sure how quickly he's going to be able to learn and and you know get 
get the playbook and then apply it to the field. And I think that's one thing that we have to see because he is going to be able to run around and make plays, but it's okay. Once he has to game plan, how's he going to be able to do? And that was, again, that's not me saying it. That's what I've heard. So I I know that sometimes people think, Oh, that's a code word and it, it angers people. But that is the thing that, because what we heard for three months about Lamar Jackson is let's, let's see what he can do when he has to, you know, learn an NFL playbook and, you know, put that stuff onto the field. So I'm, I'm excited to see it. I, I hope he just continues to, as he's given opportunities with the ones, he can come in and make plays. Uh, let's jump really quickly. Jalen Ramsey gets suspended. And I, I think it's always, you know, awful when players in the media get into it. And I've been on my side of it. I've, and I've been made some mistakes on my side of it. But it, for the most part, players I've worked with always understand like, hey, I'm doing my job. You're doing yours. Sometimes they got to ask you questions you don't want to answer. Um, Jalen Ramsey gets suspended for one preseason game because he went at a local reporter. Uh, I, I think uh, Fowler, Dante Fowler is also suspended. To me, this is a joke. Like You're going to suspend a guy for a preseason game he doesn't even want to play in. I'm not worried about it. I don't know about you. He doesn't need to play in either. The guy right. is a top three corner and top three corner in football already. There's times where he looks like the best already. I mean, big deal. I, I think more interesting of a situation here is what is going to happen with Dante Fowler? I just listen. He's had some really promising flashes. Yeah. And Gakwe is a star pass rusher, in my opinion, already in a Jacksonville defense that is loaded, maybe the best on paper in the entire NFL. And I'm not saying they don't need Dante Fowler, but they didn't pick up his fifth year option. He can probably just walk away at the end of the season. I'm just perplexed by this situation of, do they just keep him and hope things smooth over? Or, because you don't just give a guy away like Dante Fowler, but they didn't value him enough to pick up the fifth-year option. So it's such an interesting situation to keep an eye on across the board, and I don't know how it's going to play out. I really don't either. I think it is, like you said, it's interesting that you don't value a guy enough to pick up his option, and he's one of those dudes that was hurt uh, in his rookie camp and has never really seemed to get caught up from there. So uh, I, I think the the jury's very much still out on him as far as, you know, what what is he going to be able to do? And like you said, Yannick Ngakwe is a star, man. Uh, he's, I, he's, inc- he's great. Yeah, yeah. I think he has the, the goods to be very, very special. So uh, when I look at their roster, it's like, okay, well, you know what you're going to pay Dante Fowler what he wants to be a, a situational pass rusher. And that's kind of what he's, what he's looking at being because of what they have in Ngakwe. And then they have Clayus Campbell and Taven Bryan and, you know, all the, all the defensive linemen they have. So it is it, <laughs> Dante Fowler, I think is going to be one of those dudes that's probably playing somewhere else next year on a short term, prove it deal. Uh, someone who finally got their deal done. This happened as oh, we were sitting God. here recording today, Roquan Smith signs his rookie deal with the Chicago bears. They need to get him on the field immediately and and you know, hoping that he can be the anchor of that defense. Uh, and one thing I'll say, and I think we talked about this last week with Roquan, throughout the process, you and I heard, great kid, he's going to be able to come in and make plays right away. Now we're going to see if that's true because he is finally under contract. Yeah, as odd as this sounds, if this was going to happen to anyone, Roquan could afford it the most. Like him and Saquon Barkley were the two guys where it's like, man, they could probably do two weeks of camp and they're going to start week one. Yeah, They're that pro ready. 
They're electric players. They're difference makers that play with speed, and they're ultra productive. So I'm not very concerned. I'm glad it got done. It was ridiculous all along, and I'm just glad it got done. I think Roquan's going to shine. I think he's going to shine in Chicago. I, I think he's the best pick besides Bradley Chubb for defensive rookie of the year. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100% on that. So just happy for him that he's finally getting in there, getting into camp, and uh, I, I think he is going to make a him. huge impact. Yeah, they do need him. Uh, one last note. Free beer in Cleveland, man. Have you seen this story? It, it broke kind of Tuesday morning as we were sitting down to record. And I, I think I'm going to do this when you guys get here. I'm going to padlock the beer fridge in the office, and it's going to unlock. Uh, I get, I don't know when. But the Browns are – Bud Light's doing this thing in Cleveland. They've put these beer coolers at like 10 bars in Cleveland, and they will magically unlock if the Browns get a win. Doesn't that – That is incredible. It's incredible. That's going to be a fucking riot. These fridges aren't very big. You know what my fear is, Matt? And I've been thinking about this for quite some time. The Browns open up with the Steelers, and then they play at New Orleans. Not great odds to win. No. They could give the Steelers at home some problems, but not great odds to win. Week three, they play the Jets at home, Thursday night football. It's the Jets' third game in 10 days. Oh, shit. 10 days. The Jets play three games in 10 days because the NFL, <laughs> the, the Jets have a very good chance to lose that game, a very good chance. And I'm not going to be like, oh, my God, we lost to the Browns because the Browns are not the Browns. Like they're much improved. They're going to be exciting this year. So uh, have your beer uh, Cleveland. Just stand around those beer fridges on September 20th around 11 o'clock. You think that's what's going to happen? Might be, you might be in luck. That's all I'm saying. All right, Matt, time to finish our top, well, not finish, continue our top 25 rookie countdown. We are at number 20. We will go all the way down to 16 today. Uh, If you missed it, last week we did 25 down to 21. Impact rookies in the NFL this year. I'm going to start with Rashawn Evans, and I know I used Harold Landry last week, but I obviously loved this draft for the Titans. I think when you look at the linebacker position in terms of rookie impact, the two go hand in hand. It's almost the anti-tight end where rookie tight ends are usually not on the field that much at all and not thrown to that much at all. I feel like rookie linebackers have a very good chance to at least get on the field later on in the season and make a ton of plays. So I was a big Rashawn Evans fan, and I think this is a perfect fit for him in terms of NFL franchises. Yeah, I love him as well. You know, he landed with one of my favorite coaches in the NFL, Mike Vrabel, who is Knows a little bit about playing linebacker. So, yes, <laughs> I think it's a pretty good match. Uh, I love Rashawn Evans. Glad you got him in here, man. Uh, I had to scramble this morning because Darius Guys got hurt. So, I had to c- scratch him off the list and reshuffle things. And the player I added in is Calvin Ridley at number 20. Uh, I think he can be, you know, not a, he's not going to steal from Julio Jones, right? And we know that Austin Hooper is going to get his in the, in the red zone. But I really think that Calvin Ridley can become the true number two in this offense. And, and really work those underneath routes and, and open things up for them. Rookie receivers, I feel like, are a mixed bag. Uh, you can you never know what you're going to get with these guys. They might catch 17 passes. They might catch 93. It's all about opportunity. But I think Ridley is athletic enough. He's a good enough route runner, and he's smart enough. He's going to be able to get on the field pretty early on. Oh, yeah, I love Calvin Ridley, and I think that offense is going to be a lot of fun with him and Julio Jones. And just to clarify with these guys, it it is impact rookies for the season, not instant impact. So as much as Evans is a guy that's been battling injuries in camp, 
I do think he works his way back onto the field at some point this year and, and really helps out the Titans defense. Another guy that, you know, battled some injuries in college, but has been brilliant in camp already. Anthony Miller on the Chicago bears. I think Mitch Trubisky is going to love throwing the ball to this guy. I loved what he did in college. I thought he was quick. I thought his routes were sharp and he can win over the top underneath, you know, a little flash with the ball in his hands after the catch. So Anthony Miller at number 19 for me, a player that quietly can have a really nice rookie season, bro. I think he's going to go off and talking to people in Chicago about the relationship and the connection that he and Trubisky are building is special. And just the ways that Matt Nagy is going to be able to get him open. I think maybe even I'm guilty of forgetting that they also have Allen Robinson. Now they have Trey Burton and they have Anthony Miller. And even if you don't ever get anything out of Kevin white ever at all, you still have three really good options there. Not to mention uh, the guys coming out of the backfield, like Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen. So they have a quietly good skill player group there in Chicago. And I think Anthony Miller is going to be, you know, we talked early in the show about Darius guys and what it does for fantasy. I think Anthony Miller might be like a late round, just like go ahead and draft that dude, because I wouldn't be shocked if he starts to go off. Number 19 on my list is someone that, and I don't know why I do this every year. Cause all my friends listen to this podcast and then they steal players from me in our fantasy draft. But I really, yep. <laughs> really like Royce Freeman. I think he's going to be the starting running back. Uh, he's he's going to get the touches. And we saw a dude in college who was just consistently productive. And when I look at what Denver has and needs, they don't have anyone like Royce Freeman, who's 230 pounds, can break away with some speed, can catch the ball well. And now that you have Case Keenum at quarterback, I, I think Royce Freeman has a chance to be one of those kind of ground and pound type guys. That's just going to get, you know, 20 touches a game and going to be able to be very, very productive. And especially I think in the red zone, uh, he's the dude, because what else do they have? Uh, they have Devonte Booker, D'Angelo Henderson. I, I think Roy, yeah, Royce Freeman's much. the dude he should get. And again, we're talking about rookie impact. What are you doing for me this year? That's where I think Royce Freeman can have a huge impact. I'm right with you there. I looked at my my top 25 this morning and with guys being injured, had a big spot to fill guys to move up guys to, you know, maybe move down. Obviously, guys had to unfortunately drop out of that. Royce Freeman is the name that I had to punch in because you look at the Broncos backfield and in terms of volume, he's the guy or should be the guy. And we've seen early impact from him already in the preseason. So Love the fit there. Love the pick there. Number 18, Mike McGlinchey. We were talking about it on the first time that we did, uh, unveiled the top 25. How do you value offensive linemen? Well, guess what? This guy's playing tackle for Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan's offense. He's going to be a very important factor. He's already played really well. I think Mike McGlinchey's quietly, which is a good thing for an offensive tackle, going to have a really nice rookie year in San Francisco. And he's a vital piece. They needed offensive line help. They said, hey, screw it. We don't think this is a reach. We're taking this guy top 10. Yeah, it's, it's like the Jack Conklin pick. You know, okay, well, you guys are yep. going to laugh, and we're going to draft someone who might in uh, Conklin was fucking pro bowler as a rookie. So, uh, McGlinchey, I'm glad to see that you have that much faith in him because uh, it's funny being a Niners fan where at the end of the season, it was like, man, I cannot wait till next year. We're going to we're going to surprise some people. Now everyone's like, you should win 10, 11 games. It's like, oh, damn. OK, well, I was happy <laughs> with like eight. I was going to be really happy with eight games. Number 18 for me. I'm sticking with those Denver Broncos. Cortland Sutton, I think, is he's going to eventually maybe into this year, become the guy there. I really think he is. He's just everything you hear out of campus, how special he is. 
Demarius Thomas getting older, Emmanuel Sanders getting older. They're going to need someone who can be a difference maker. And I think Cortland Sutton can be, you know, he has the size, he has the jump ball ability. Demarius Thomas is 30. And I I've talked about this so many times that is for most receivers, a breaking point after 30, you're just not the same dude anymore, unless you're Jerry Rice. So Cortland Sutton is sooner or later going to take over that number one receiver role. And it, it might just happen this year. Yeah, I mean, for the first time in a while, it felt like we saw Demarius Thomas go under 1,000 yards last year. Now, I understand they did not have the best quarterback situation in the NFL, obviously, but I still think there will be a little bit of a drop-off there, like you said, Matt. If not now, it'll be sooner rather than later, and we love Sutton. Sutton's a guy that's going to make things happen in the red zone. Uh, Number 17, Frank Ragno. This was just what the Lions needed. Yes, going a little offensive line heavy today on the top 25 rookie countdown, but this was my guy. I, I had a first round, had a first round grade on him. Uh, a guy is going to be running behind him all year that is going to come way later in his top 25 impact rookie countdown. But Ragno is just, he's a bully out there and he can play guard. He can play center. He can help the run game. He can anchor in pass protection. This is the type of attitude and the type of player you want in front of a excellent quarterback in Matt Stafford. So this was such a good pick by the Lions, and I think it's really going to have, it's going to pay dividends really quickly for them this season. This was your dude as well. Like You were the first person I ever heard say he should be a first-round pick. So this was and your dude. That, he got hurt. People forget about players when yep. they get hurt. It felt like the, the Marcus May thing again, where it's like, we haven't seen him in a while, and then it's like, oh, NFL teams love him. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that he's playing left guard. You put him and Taylor Lewan on the left side of a line. Greg so Blasco's <laughs> no weakness in the middle. That is one of the toughest lines in football. And uh, we'll probably be you know, talking about Kerryon Johnson a decent amount this year, whether it's him or LeGarrette Blount or Theo Riddick or Amir Abdullah, whomever it is running behind that line, uh, we'll, we'll definitely be able to make some things happen. I also you did went, mean Taylor Decker. <laughs> I know, I, I I know you Decker, love Luan. Yeah, Taylor, yes. Taylor. <laughs> yeah. They're both in the Big Ten. All big, bad offensive yeah. linemen. They even kind of look alike. Okay, my bad. Taylor Lewan. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Love that guy. We need to get him back on. Um, so, number 17 for me. I'm going interior offensive line as well, buddy. Will Hernandez is the guy. I know we fell in love with this guy at the Senior Bowl with his, you know, it looked like he was wearing a mesh jersey from the early 90s with the <laughs> neck roll, a little bit of a belly hanging out, and he's just The mean. longest yard. Yes, exactly. He's tough. And he's going to be opening holes for Saquon Barkley. So he he might be the most famous offensive lineman uh, out of this draft class. I love Will Hernandez and do think, again, we're talking about impact and and quantifying offensive line play. Like you said, it's a little bit tough, but however you want to do it, whether it's pro football focus grade, Madden rating, whatever, I think Will Hernandez is going to be one of the best offensive linemen from this group. Man, my next one is, is one of the toughest in terms of projecting this list. I went with DJ Moore on the Panthers, and I think he's already flashed. I always wonder how effective or how much of an impact is the Panthers wide receiver is going to have right away. They finally got a first, you know, a guy that went in the first round. He was probably early second round talent, but it's all a moot point. I think DJ Moore can have a really big year with Cam Newton. I think Cam Newton is going to look to find him. They're going to work him on screens. He can win over the top. He really fits the speed of that offense. I know Ron Rivera has come out and said, man, this is a fast a fast team we got with McCaffrey. Curtis Samuel is working back from injury now. And, Who looks and good, flashing apparently. A bit in camp. Yeah, he looks good. So DJ Moore just fits the athleticism of their skill players, and I think he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I do too, man. And they need him. 
is the big thing. And, and I, I talked about him last week. They need someone who can be that vertical stretch guy. And, and also just a, a young dude in there because Torrey Smith is uh, somehow still really fast, but has never been a number one receiver. I think DJ Moore can become that guy uh, very, very early. Last on my list, you started us off today with the Tennessee Titans. I'm going to end it with Harold Landry, who's getting starting snaps already because Brian Arakpo is hurt. He is going to be a playmaker, man. I, he's I, making the most of them. <laughs> he's making the Yeah, he is. And I remember talking to someone with the Titans uh, the Saturday of the draft. So day three of the draft, sitting on set with you, texting with this guy, and they were just ecstatic that they got Rashawn Evans and Harold Landry in the same draft and really thought that they could that Landry could come in and play right away, be an impact guy. His speed and agility and flexibility around the edge is really, really special. And an, another guy who got hurt last year, so we kind of forgot about him a little bit, and it kind of hurt his stock, but he, he should be a 10-sack player if he's on the field as much as I think he'll be. All right, everybody, thanks for sticking around. A lot of fun this week going around the league updating you on our top 25 rookies. And now it is time for draft on draft where we get to answer your questions. This is my favorite part of the midweek show, seeing the craziness that you guys can come up with. And this week, Connor, I went through Reddit, Instagram, Twitter. There were so many good questions that I had to get most of them in here. Uh, Let's start it off. One that you added in here. What are the main differences you look at when deciding a player is a three, four linebacker versus a four, three defensive end? You kind of get the feel right away when you watch him in college. Is he a guy that, you know, uh, I think Felder used to call them dirt monsters with their hand in the dirt. And (laughs) some guys can do both. And some guys just love to stand up and they can explode off the snap with a really quick first step. So if you're ever trying to do this, I think one of the best exercises is really the first, you know, start at zero seconds of a play and keep rewinding back and forth from the snap and, and see guys get off see how guys are technically sound with their hands. What kind of technician are they? Some guys really explode off the dirt and know how to disengage blockers better, where some guys are just too fast standing upright where like you get the feel right away. I think Bradley Chubb was a good example of a guy that can do both. I think Harold Landry was a guy on the other hand where I saw him stand up and said, that's what I want him doing because that's where he's going to get 10 to 12 sacks every single year. So it's fascinating, but you really can get the feel very quickly. And those are just, some of the tendencies that separate the two. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes, man, it's also as simple as uh, size, you know, you can look at Bradley Chubb and Harold Landry yes, side by side and Harold Landry is a little bit more of a lean build, but also he's a little more narrow and you can watch him play and look at the, I would just talked about in the last segment, look at how he dips his hips and shoulders while accelerating. That's rare for guys to be able to do that. And to me that says, okay, this guy can stand up and play in space. Bradley Chubb's game is a little bit more about power hand use, disengaging blocks. That's more of a true 4-3 defensive end. So the line is blurring, and in a perfect world, you would have guys like Von Miller who could do both. Derek Thomas back in the day, Lawrence Taylor, those guys could do both, and that's why they're all-time greats. Um, It's a little more rare to to see that now, but I think that's, you know, it it might sound too simplistic, and there are guys who are going to break that rule, but for the most part, I start out at least by looking at size and going from there. Of course, and it's interesting to see, like, A really good example of someone that was a tough eval early on was Hercules Mata'afa, who unfortunately is out for the year, signed by the Vikings as an undrafted free agent, I believe. When you look at Mata'afa, he was a guy that played on the interior, and people were like, well, can he be a stand-up pass rusher, or can he survive with his hand in the dirt? 
on the edge. And that's just a, that's one where it's like when you don't get to see it in college, it makes it even tougher and where you have to use the athleticism from combine and pro days and, and what you see on tape from the interior and size. Yeah. So that's a really great question. All right. This next one is Aaron Donald, the best defensive tackle ever heard this on the radio today and wanted your thoughts. I don't think so. Uh, and I would just in my lifetime, guys like John Randall, I hate him, but Warren Sapp, um, I, I think we're better players. Donald could be definitely yes. could be. I think we need a bigger sample size before we say this is the best ever. I mean, people just started calling Brady the greatest ever. It took 20 fucking years. So I, I think with Aaron Donald, we need to see more than four years of football. Well, also, if the NFL closed up shop today, you would say J.J. Watt had a better career. Yeah. I, and I know Donald Donald's only 27 and could very well end up having a better career than Watt. I'm very curious to see how Watt comes back this year because coming back from back surgeries is it's not easy. Most people can't do it. And when you look at Watt, though, from freaking 2012 to 2015, the guy had like 80, like a ridiculous amount of sacks. He, he had, had 20 40, and a half twice. 50. Donald has 39. Yeah. All he, time. he had over like exactly. So Watt right now would go down as the better player if you're looking in the modern era. But I love Aaron Donald and I think that they got to get him paid because I think in three years might be sitting there saying, wow, that's the best run it, we've ever seen. You know, it's crazy. Tackle. J.J. Watt is one year older than Aaron Donald. His that run was unbelievable. Uh, he, oh, and sorry, I'm not two a, years, two yeah, years older. My bad. Two years. Still, yeah, he's 29. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, I, it's insane. So it's going to be really interesting. Uh, OK, keeping this thing moving. And by the way, I, oh, this is that was from I'm, I'm bad. At, I blew it, but I didn't even say who it was from. It was an Instagram question from RYKO58. Uh, this one from Reddit. Oh, I love the names on Reddit. Womp seat people? Wampa seat people? I don't, I don't know. Even know. I typed it in. Consensus. Like, Wampa's people? I don't know. Consensus seems to be that Teddy Bridgewater is at least in part trade fodder for the Jets, even if there's value in having him on the roster. He did look excellent in his preseason showing this year. Thought the focus was, of course, on Sam Darnold. How likely do you think it is Teddy is traded before the season starts? What kind of draft pick or other compensation do you feel is a realistic and are fair if the Jets trade him? Something we did talk about earlier on the yeah. show, Matt, but we could dive in a little deeper. What kind of value do you see Bridgewater having? And do you think he's traded? Or And when do you think he's traded? Well, I think fans always think players are worth a lot more than they are, you know, when you're, when you're being traded. And, and especially for a guy who's on a one-year deal. That's something to remember. He is a free agent after the 2018 season. So that really affects it. I would I would think a third-round pick would be a great return for the New York Jets. They could get a three for him. And and maybe maybe it's conditional. Maybe you say, okay, if he you know, plays all 16 games, we'll take a three. If he makes a Pro Bowl, it's a two, something along those lines. And, and if he gets hurt or doesn't start, we'll take a four. Um, that that's kind of where I would look at that conversation being. He's not worth a first round pick. This is not for whatever reason, Sam Bradford is loved in the NFL. So he was worth the first round pick in the minds of GMs. I still think that was a really bad trade for the Vikings, but I I think Teddy's probably more of a mid round pick guy. Yeah, I think so too. I think if you look at it like this, the jets can basically pay half a million dollars to Teddy and bring back maybe a fourth round pick. That would be a, that would be a really nice win. So I do think he's moved. I think he's, oddly enough, 
the odd man out here because I think they'll want to hold on to McCown and his mentorship towards Darnold. I think they're going to start Darnold. I don't know if I would move Teddy. I, I think I'm emotionally attached to the player more so because I've been such a fan since he was in college and now he's playing for my favorite team. But I, I do think he gets moved. And I know, I think it was Jason LaConfora yesterday or two days ago was the one that came out and said, maybe they move McCown instead. That would really shock me. I think McCown's in line to be a coach on this team next year. And I think he's he's a guy that they love having there, although they love having Teddy there too. In terms of compensation, it would be great to see the Jets get creative here and find a way to help their problem on the edge. They have no pass yeah. rushers. But player-for-player player trades are just so rare in the NFL where it looks more likely to see a fourth-round kind of pick back for Teddy. And I don't even know, like it, the edge positions around the league are so valued. I don't even know who you would call. I mean, yeah, it, a team that needs a quarterback that has an edge to give up is the hard part. That does. It doesn't even feel like it right. exists half the like, like any of the time. Denver so, would probably yeah. trade Shane Ray, but they don't need a quarterback. It's like, well, okay, well yeah, they definitely don't. Who do you, I, you're not calling anyone in the AFC East. <laughs> so no, you, you there's really not a lot of players yourself. at the position. Yeah. It, it makes it so difficult. So, all right. Another one from Reddit. This one from Anol, E-N-O-L-L-L. Had this debate with my friends last week. Who is most clearly the GOAT at their position in NFL history? So mm-hmm. I might be very biased here, but I think it's Jerry Rice. I, I think at quarterback, you could say, and I think it's Tom Brady. There were people that say with Joe Montana. Okay, that's... There's an argument there. Montana was fucking great uh, for a long time. He won four Super Bowls. There, it's hard to argue against that. I think a receiver. There's no one else that even comes. It's Jerry Rice. Then, okay, well, if you want to say Randy Moss after that, or Chris Carter, or whatever, Terrell Owens, whoever you want to say, everyone knows Jerry Rice is the greatest receiver to ever play the game. I, I think it's Randy Moss, but that's because I'm a young, dumb millennial. So <laughs> maybe I've. D- uh, my hot take is, is it Lou Groza? Oh, wow. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, the goat at their position, I, man, this one pains me the most. It might very well be Tom Brady when all is said and done. Yeah. I just, I don't know. It's when you look position by position, actually, I think it's Lawrence Taylor. That's a good one. That's who I think it is. That is a pretty I good just one. think he, Yeah. It's Lawrence Taylor. I think when you, because we just are going to have the arguments about Brady and a couple of different guys. We're going to always have the arguments with Randy Moss, Jerry Rice. Uh, Very curious to see how Antonio Brown finishes in that conversation six years from now or whatever it is. Uh, um, Here's a a under the radar one. Would you say that Tony Gonzalez at tight end? Oh, wow. No, because I think Gronkowski is going to finish with a better career. Yeah, maybe. It's it's tough. Yeah. I just think Gonzalez. Is. That's a great question. Yeah. That is a great it question. Really is. Who is the clear cut best? Like, would you think would you say Ronnie Lott at safety? Well, see, yeah, I don't I don't think so. And I'm shit, I'm the Niners fan in the group, you know, but I think there were some other yeah. and like Earl Thomas at the end of the day might end up being Yeah, Earl's incredible. Uh um, Reed was wow, so that's good. yeah. That's a fantastic question. Yeah. I, I actually that should be the iTunes. Uh, responses this Ooh, that'd be great yeah in your reviews who do you think is the goat at their the most clear-cut goat at their position man I, that is so hard yeah that's really I, hard that is the tough one man i love that I'm, I'm gonna be thinking about that all day so next question from 
Rich Kotite fan on Reddit. <laughs> God, this has to be you. That question. makes him one in the entire world. Yeah. A question about player development. Is player development bad drafting or bad coaching? Something I've always wondered. NFL teams that aren't developing players they've drafted, are those teams bad at drafting or bad at coaching when guys don't live up to potential and are or are cut early? Are GMs whiffing on picks or are coaches not doing their jobs? I'm a Jets fan, so have wondered this a lot under the current regime as Mac has a spotty record so far, and I've seen little reason to have faith in Bulls and Co. I think it it is goes hand in hand. I, I do think that yes. player development sometimes is the coach's fault. Sometimes you draft a player too high. And let's use Christian Hackenberg. You're a Jets fan. Let's I don't think it's Todd Bowles and Jeremy Bates' fault that Christian Hackenberg failed. I think he was drafted. No, Jesus Christ himself couldn't fix that. Right. So he was just he shouldn't have been drafted in the second round. He should have been drafted in the fifth round, where he could have been as a developmental quarterback, but doesn't work out. Who the fuck cares? So that I put that one on the front office. Sometimes, though, it falls on the player. It really does. Sometimes these guys get in over their heads or they get money and they lose their work ethic or they have a good year and they, you know, lose their drive or uh, they come out of a program where they were coddled and they don't know how to work. I mean, there are so many things that go into why a player doesn't work. I don't know if you can just say, here's a blanket. It's bad coaching or it's bad development or it's a bad person, bad player. I think it's every situation is unique. Yeah, I completely agree. I will say that I find personnel people, I think, put it on the coaches when the mid to late round guys don't develop because you don't take those guys and say, okay, they're going to work out no matter what. They need to fit into the scheme and often have holes in their game that need to be coached up. Now, when the first round picks miss... I think that goes back to the front office. Yeah. Because if you miss on a first rounder, there's a couple things that went wrong that were in your, you either fucked up the medical because some, I mean, right now, uh, not to be this guy, we had heard Matt right after the draft, Sony Michelle's medicals were way worse than Nick Chubb's. Yep. Sony Michelle went in the first round and has already had his knee drained. I don't, I, he could still be a star. I'm just saying an example, a current example. Now you can have off field, uh, it go wrong or you just miss on the player. There's always players taken in the first round. They're not first round talents. So it, it really does go both ways. And it's, it's really interesting to watch play out, you know, the blame game. So, all right. It this is, next but one is never just, no, go ahead. Yeah. Like for the jets fan, I don't, I think Mac uh, and co have done a good job the last few years of changing their philosophy yeah, on the fly. And, uh, one thing that I think is before we move on, super important for front offices is, to admit mistakes and it's a hard thing to do for GMs because they've made it that far and they, they think they know what they're doing. I think you have to give Mac a lot of credit for stepping back and saying, okay, you know what? Maybe this isn't working and we need to change some things up. And now they've gone to this, you know, they're drafting from big schools, guys who win uh, are, are great leaders and competitors like Jamal Adams, Marcus May, Sam Darnold, even get Nathan Shepard from Fort Hay state, not a big school, but hey, that dude is a monster and is going to bring in the type of culture they want, especially on defense. So I, I think, yeah, the jury's out, but kudos to Mac for saying, hey, we got we to gotta go a different direction here in, in order to turn this around. And I think they're pretty close. I think so, too. I think they finally have started to hit on, you know, because like Leonard Williams and Jamal Adams felt like layups. Like I, if me and you or any, not me and you, if any, most people that watch any bit of the NFL and the NFL draft coverage 
would have probably made those picks. But it's the, like you said, the Marcus Mays of the world. Nathan Shepard, who's already starting. Is Chris Herndon going to start? Those are the, and of course, hitting on a franchise quarterback can go a long way. So, all right, this one from Jay Sacchino. Uh, Jay Sacchino 3, do you think players should be able to return to college if they are underclassmen that don't get drafted? I think college basketball just adopted that. Yeah. They, so, as long as you sign an agent. Man. Or, you know, as the old. I, uh, I actually do. And, but I think there's repercussions for the college team in a sense, although I'm never going to side with the colleges. I think I always the try problem to is like players. recruiting, like signing day happens before the draft. That's that was my exact thought, so, but I'm trying not to give any room to the colleges. I always like to side yeah. with the players, but that's a great point. Yeah, exactly. So that is the hardest part is, okay, I'm a Texas fan and we lost Malik Jefferson and or let's say Holton Hill. Holton Hill left early, went undrafted. Uh, should he be able to go back to Texas? Well, you know, that that's the hard part. So you already replaced that scholarship. So it's like one of those things that is so great in theory. And then when you start actually sitting down and thinking about, okay, how are we going to do this? It, it becomes very complicated. I think players just shouldn't leave school early unless they know they're a top hundred pick. And it, yeah, it's a hard thing well, to know in January, but what about this, Matt? What if the college advisory board gives you a draftable grade and you go undrafted? That's the hard part. It happens too. It does. It's a little more rare. It's always frustrating when the advisory board gives a guy an undraftable grade and he enters anyway. Sometimes it's for family financial reasons. I totally yeah. get that. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes they are tired of being at school or they academically aren't. See with the supplemental draft every year. Yep. That's a, it's a fascinating debate. And I don't think there's a direct answer on this podcast that's going to solve it today. But I know but I think there's a lot players, of points to go through. Because I've, I've said before, uh, something that I get asked to do every year is advise players on where would they be drafted uh, if they were to come out. And I talked to multiple players this year, not agents, just me and the player talking on the phone and being like, man, I, I, feedback I'm getting, what I'm seeing is you're probably a third round pick. And they'll go, okay, well, what if I run this as the combine and do this and do this and do this? And like they don't care because they think they can elevate yeah. their stock so much between January 15th and April 24th. So it, it becomes tough to really get through to those people. Yeah, it does. Especially there's obviously some bad voices in their heads too, whether it's financial advisors or anything like that. It makes it a very, yeah. Agents, of course, makes it a very complicated process. All right. This last one, great name, Mike Tyson chicken. Who are some front office members that you feel like do a great job and could possibly end up as GMs in the near future? Matt, I always know you compile a list of yeah, I you know guys up. that are in line. Yeah, who do you, let's uh, let's do the run through here. Yeah, well, I think Mike Bergonzi is probably the, one of those names that's going to start to get out there of uh, someone who yeah, this guy could be a, a future GM. Uh, he's with the Chiefs. He's been promoted to director of football operations, and you know that they just have a pipeline there. You know, like okay, Ballard gets Indy. Uh, and then Veach gets the Chiefs job, and Borgonzi's next. I mean, he's going to be the next guy uh, to really come up in that spot. And then I've heard Mike Bradway is the next guy below that in line. So as far as those dominoes go, Borgonzi's going to be high on list. Joe Douglas with the Eagles is going to be up there. Uh, George Patton with the Vikings is very high on the list. Ryan Cowden with the Titans. Brian Heimerdinger with the Jets. Uh, Elliot Wolf has been a hot name for a long time, but uh, and I don't. I, I mean, I've 
spoke to Elliot just a few times in passing. Seems like a good dude. Obviously, have a ton of respect for his dad. Um, there were a lot of people who felt like Green Bay passing over him for that job uh, kind of put the writing on the wall that maybe he's not going to get a job. So I think we need to see how things go in Cleveland. Uh, Brandon Hunt in Pittsburgh is a good name. Uh, Gary Kubiak is another one. He's doing a lot of scouting now for the Broncos. Uh, so he's definitely someone to, to keep an eye on. And then um, someone that used to be uh, very highly regarded. I think when I first started uh, at Bleacher Report, a name you heard all the time was Matt Russell. Uh, he's the director of player personnel for the Broncos. Uh, played college at, at the University of Colorado. Got into a little bit of trouble. I think he had a DUI a few years back and, and kind of had to... Uh, you know, got suspended and kind of had to reevaluate things, but he's now kind of back on the up and up on those lists of, of future GMs. Man, that was quite the, quite the, I mean, you were ready to go. <laughs> this is my job, <laughs> man. Yeah. No, that was, no, that was perfect. How and surprised if, you know, are you though, to hear a Jets front office guy? It's shocking. I'm trying to think of like, cause like obviously Rex Hogan was, was, you know, poached in a promotion. He was their college director and got promoted to co-VP with Ed Dodds and Indy. But like in terms of elevated from a personnel standpoint to a G like that GM job, that shit is yeah. here. I mean, with the way this franchise is drafted, the franchise that couldn't find, I mean, guess what? You find a quarterback. It says a lot. It does. Especially yeah. for a, a haunted franchise that can never seem to find one. As I sit here and read that Sam Darnold just, went up and led a scoring drive against the Redskins starting defense in their joint practice. Oh, not getting excited yet. Not getting too excited yet. Uh, (laughs) So, oh man. But yeah, it's, um, it's very interesting. And I think it reflects that there have been some really nice decisions made by the jets in recent years. And and one of our listeners who sent in a question earlier said it's, it's, it was shaky in the beginning and they did miss on picks, but Right now, if you can keep this trajectory up, it's that's you got to get hot at the right time. And I think Elliot's a really good example of someone that maybe got became a hot name too early. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Yep. And like, you know, Ballard's name got hot and he did a great job of he would interview and then he would like, ah, but I'm not I'm not interested. I'm looking for the perfect opportunity. Some guys, and I, I'm not saying this specifically about Elliot, but some guys, their name gets hot, and they're like, no, I'm not inter- interviewing for that job. I'm not interviewing for that job. not interviewing for that job. So I, I think you have to – there's a balance between like keeping your name relevant and hot and not you know, ignoring offers. But that's why a good agent is so important for these guys because they – they're they're worried about scouting and evaluating players building teams and there's so much that happens politically for these openings that you need a good agent to get these things done it's it's couldn't be more true so all right well the next time we talk to you guys is going to be in a couple of days because i am going to be in joplin and we are going to do a stick to football friday extravaganza it's gonna be crazy it's gonna be it's gonna be lights out crazy. I can't wait. Uh, safe travels to to you and the BR crew coming in from New York. Our intern TR driving over from St. Louis, and then you know, Mello and I are just here living. So uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun. The Friday morning show. You'll want to get it. Hop in iTunes, subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, get in the BR subscribe app. Subscribe on YouTube. Yeah, YouTube channel now. Oh my God! Stick to football is everywhere. They updated the store today. We've got hoodies. We got T-shirts. Uh, Connor and I are the working Instagram to get more firing things. on all cylinders. There's, if you can't find stick to football on the internet, you're not trying. 
basically. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> so it's going to be a lot of fun. A big week. Uh, college football is in the air. I think it's 11 days or something like that until college football kicks off. So I'm excited. I know you guys are too. We will talk to you Friday morning.